You're listening to a podcast from BJSM. I'm delighted to be on this BJSM podcast with Professor Malcolm Collins. And it's a name that many of you will be familiar with. And he's a professor of human biology at the University of Cape Town. And he's a specialist scientist there with the South African Medical Research Council, which is a prestigious institution. He's part of the Sports Science Institute of South Africa, which is a multidisciplinary institution. And they've done a great job in promoting sporting excellence and health of Africans. Just before we get started, you'll be interested to know that this Sports Science Institute is located right next door to the Newlands Rugby Ground, which is one of those iconic venues. And uh, it was part of South Africa's 1995 Rugby World Cup, and that's highlighted in the film Invictus, where Matt Damon plays the South African captain, Francois Pinard, and Morgan Freeman plays Nelson Mandela. But enough about that, and let's get into talking to Malcolm Collins about sports injuries and genetics. Malcolm, thanks for joining this BJSM podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure. Now, I know you listened to Tim Caulfield's uh, podcast about genetics, and we're going to link these two podcasts for listeners. Tell us what you think the sort of most common misconception is when you're talking to people about genomics and genetics in sports medicine. You know, what's something, a message that you think all our listeners need to be aware of? I thoroughly enjoyed listening to, to his podcast, um, and I agree with virtually everything that he said. One of the the biggest misconceptions that I believe people have when we talk about genetics and, and sports injuries is the misconception that maybe one day genetics will be able to be used to predict whether somebody will be injured or not, uh, whether they will one day either um, develop a chronic echelitinopathy or rupture their ACL or get a rotator cuff injury. There is a misconception that this information could be used in a predictive manner, in a diagnostic manner. I believe this will never be the case, but rather that any genetic information that could one day be used by the clinician will merely be used to aid the clinician together with other tools to determine risk uh, for injury and hopefully one day um, also for the athletes how they're going to respond to specific interventions. Now, you made your name in tendons before ligaments. So let's talk about your research in tendon injuries and, and the genetics of that. So for the person who hasn't read your papers, what's the take-home message for a clinician in practice when they see patients as a result of your terrific contributions? Our tendon research has added to the field by showing that a person's genetic profile um, contributes to their susceptibility to injury. Um, the genetics does not cause the injury by itself, but rather tendon injuries, as we are all aware of, are a result of a complex and currently poorly understood interaction of multiple factors. And these factors, broadly speaking, can be divided into genetic factors and environmental or non-genetic factors. And so you found that some genes were protective as well as some being uh, showing increased risk? So some genes or some variants within genes appear to protect people from developing uh, Achilles tendinopathy, while others uh, appear to make people more susceptible uh, to these injuries. 
the types of genes that we have concentrated and, and looked at are the genes which make the proteins which make up the collagen fibril, and the collagen fibril is the basic building block of, of the tendons. So it makes biological sense um, that, that these genes are involved at some level in the development of Achilles tendinopathy and, and ruptures. And Malcolm, this will lead us in towards a conversation we'll have later about 23andMe. But moving to the practicalities of the tendon one specifically, if you've got a team doctor, team sports scientist manager listening and they're thinking, well, we want to identify these players who are at high risk and get to these genes that Malcolm has identified, is anyone doing that? Is your group doing that? What suggestions do you have for someone who wants to act on what they're listening to? Well, I often get emails asking me that very question. In fact, a, a few months ago, I actually got an email where a sports physician asked me about a professional athlete who sustained a, an acute a rupture of one of the shoulder tendons um, early on during the year. And this rupture was followed by an acute, complete Achilles tendon rupture a few months later. The athlete was not in any uh, quinoline antibiotics does not have any previous history of using um, these antibiotics, and there was a negative family history of uh, any tendon or ligament injuries. So the question that I was asked is, is there a genetic component, and what advice could I give? And they want to know if there were any specific genetic markers that we, we could test for. Now, the answer to the question, in this case, whether there were any specific genetic markers, the answer is no. However, based on the presentation of this athlete, where the person has, he had ruptured multiple or at least two tendons in a very short period of time, it is reasonable for the clinicians um, working with this athlete to assume that there must be a genetic component, that this athlete is predisposed to at least acute tendon injuries. And therefore, they should manage the athlete as if they were at um, high risk of rupturing um, other tissues that are most likely to be injured or ruptured uh, during participation in the type of sport they played. And in this case, it's not necessary to know which, what the specific gene is, but rather to know that the athlete is, is predisposed or most likely predisposed. And so the advice that, that we gave the doctors were to monitor the athlete make sure that the athlete does the prehabilitation um, exercise that are recommended in the scientific literature for the common injuries that occur during playing the particular sport that this athlete plays. Okay, and just to be um, clarify one thing, um, you're saying there were no specific markers for this case, but you've measured um, these genetic variants for tenacin and uh, coal-5, for example. So can you just clarify that for me? Yes, most of the work that we have done to date on tendon injuries has to do with chronic Achilles tendinopathy, so a chronic injury. We've done a bit of work on ACL ruptures, and one of the sort of stories that we're sort of unraveling as a result of this work that there appears to be similarities, but there also seem to be important differences when it comes to the genetic profile which makes a person susceptible to a chronic injury as opposed to an acute injury. And so based on our work of acute injuries, we don't really have good genetic markers which are clinically useful yet. 
and that is why we uh, said to the doctor, look, really, we don't know what genes that could be tested in this case. Even if we did know one or two of the genes, these conditions are probably polygenic. In other words, there are multiple genes which contribute uh, to susceptibility to injury. And we've only investigated a, a small handful of the genes. So even if a person tested negative, um, it doesn't mean that they are not susceptible to an injury because we've probably missed many of the genes which contribute uh, to risk for, for injury. Malcolm, we're going to switch to ligament injuries. What have you found with respect to ligament injuries in genes? We have identified an, a number of genes now which predispose people to um, ACL rupture. The nice thing about this work is that some of the genes which, which have been identified have now been repeated in um, different populations around the world. In particular, the, one of the genes which encodes for one of the components of type 1 collagen, and type 1 collagen is the major structural protein found within uh, ligaments and, and tendons. Um, there's a variant in one of the genes uh, which protects people from ACL ruptures, and there are three groups around the world that have independently now shown that this variant is protective for AC, of ACL ruptures. So we, we believe that this is probably a real result. Wow. And uh, what about one for folks who are at increased risk? We have shown uh, several genes which uh, increase the risk for ACL ruptures in females, um, which we've published. But however, this work still needs to be repeated in other populations to confirm whether or not it is, it is real. But we have a good biological explanation of why the, some of these associations we are finding for increased risk uh, might be real. Yeah. Just a quick one, please, Malcolm. I know that there are issues about uh, these gene variants being different in different uh, races and different nationalities. So um, if you find something in an African population, say, related to the ACL, do you think there's a fair chance that that variant will be involved, say, in a um, European Caucasian population? All the work that has been done on tendon and ligament injuries have been done in Caucasian populations. And you're correct that the genetic markers are, the informative genetic markers can be different across the different population groups and race groups. And therefore, if you find a very strong association of a genetic marker in, say, a Caucasian population or a white population, it might not necessarily be a strong marker in a black population or a Asian population. However, once we start to link mechanism to these associated variants, it becomes more and more likely that these markers uh, will become informative through, uh, with all populations. And once we understand how and why they are, are linked, once we link a, a, a cause to the association, but while they just merely remain associations, all they're doing is pointing to a region on the chromosome which might be functional. And that marker could be different in different populations. So Malcolm, with these uh, high-risk predispositions, say with the ACL, do you see a day when folks who have that uh, gene, that variant, 
for increased risk for ACL rupture might be the group that would be taken to do the exercise program to prevent ACL injuries rather than the whole team? Well, that's where I think we probably are, are going to go one day. What I'd like to hoping is going to happen one day is that we will be able to use genetic risk markers, but not in isolation. They'll have to be used together with other information that, um, that the clinician gathers to, to stratify uh, athletes into uh, high and low risk categories. And then the trainers and clinicians can then focus on the athletes which are high risk to do the appropriate exercise and prehabilitation programs to try and reduce the risk of injury. Now, Malcolm, you and Ross Tucker put together a very much downloaded paper on the BJSM called What Makes Champions. And Ross Tucker is very well known for his blog, The Science of Sport, and his um, around uh, 20,000 followers on Twitter at The Science of Sport. So um, congratulations on that contribution, first of all. And uh, why don't you just share with our readers the sort of short summary of what you guys said about what makes Olympic champions? Well, as you're aware, there's quite a lot of debate within um, the uh, general public uh, and even in, amongst a certain scientists is what is the major factors which determine a, a champion. And the debate really revolves around two major issues, the one being um, that a champion is made genetically and that we are born to be champions, and the other argument is that a champion is, is, is bred, that training volume, for example, will uh, make a champion. And what we did in that paper was unpack these two arguments and come to the conclusion that um, both genetics and um, environmental factors like training and diet um, will determine whether or not a person becomes a, a champion athlete. You can train as hard as you like, but if you don't have the correct genetic profile, if you haven't inherited the correct genes, you'll never become an elite athlete. However, if you are endowed with the best set of athletic genes, but never train or have no desire to become an athlete, um, you will not win gold at the next Olympics. Um, so both are required. So we believe, and I think there's a growing body of scientific literature which is showing that both genes and the environment, nurture and nature, are essential in determining an elite athletic champion. And listeners can follow that up on uh, BJSM. And there's an interesting commentary by Anders Ericsson, who's a colleague of yours on that. So a very hot topic and uh, something we'll leave for now because we'll move on to putting that into practice, saying if I want to check whether I've got the genetic capacity to be in the Olympics, and uh, everyone will laugh there because obviously with my physiology they won't, um, but if my child, we want to know what are the genetic predisposition for children, and there are more and more people getting their children screened. And one of the popular um, 
places that folks can send the, their DNA to is 23andMe. And Malcolm, you talked about this at the scientific conference in Sydney last year, and you've done quite a bit of work on that, and I know it'll be an area of great interest to our listeners. So where are we at with sending your DNA and your children's DNA to find out whether they have the capacity to be a champion or not? Um, I would strongly recommend against it. Um, you do not need to have a DNA test to determine whether or not you are a sprinter or a um, performance athlete. Um, any good coach with a stopwatch will be able to determine what your natural, what your abilities are. One of the risks um, that uh, can take place that if you go down the road of trying to determine your athletic ability through a genetic test based on our current understanding is that you will be given the wrong information. One of the points that, that Ross and I made in the paper was that athletic ability is an extremely complex multifactorial uh, phenotype. It's actually a variety of phenotypes. Um, and they are determined by a small contribution of multiple genes. Um, and that's excluding the environmental factors as, as well. And scientists are only starting to understand um, the role that genes play in determining athletic ability. And we've only identified a very small handful of those genes. So if we now send our DNA to test for one or two of those genes, it, it means nothing because that's only a very small component uh, which uh, contributes uh, to the whole. And um, in fact, there is a, uh, besides um, uh, the, the, the companies overseas which um, are doing genetic testing for athletic ability, there's a company in South Africa which has just started up doing that. And one of my colleagues um, gave me a report the other day to have a look at He's busy coaching a top um, female athlete, an ultra-endurance athlete who wins races in her category. And according to the genetic test that she got back, well, she was told that she should actually rather be a sprinter and not an endurance athlete and didn't know what to do. Um, and so I, 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 my advice to my colleague was that the test wasn't worth the piece of paper it is, it is written on and I doubt if it ever really will be that informative. Um, there are very good tools and methods that any good coach can use uh, to determine that without having a genetic test. Well, fantastic, Malcolm. Well, look, thank you so much. And uh, Malcolm Collins is a member of the IOC's Centre of Excellence for Sports Medicine. He works closely with uh, clinicians and he's ideally placed to talk about genetics and sport by being a world-class scientist and actively being in the sports medicine setting, which is unique. He's been a popular keynote speaker at uh, all around the world, and he's an active runner and uh, also contributes to SASMA, the South African Sports Medicine Association, which is, of course, one of BJSM's 12 member societies and uh, is providing tremendous input into BJSM. Thanks for listening to this BJSM podcast. Follow us on Twitter at BJSM underscore BMJ. And we look forward to joining you with other guests on the BJSM podcast series. For more information about this program and other BMJ group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.